You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about the band music from big pink in the room i have rob yeah, yeah. ben hello and grady hello music from big pink is the debut studio album from the band released in 1968 on the Capitol record label it was produced by john simon and the genre is americana and roots rock the band was a canadian american roots rock group that was originally named the hawks backing rockabilly frontman ronnie hawkin and in 1964, they separated, and Dylan hired them for his 65 U.S. and 66 World Tour. Music from Big Pink was the group's first album without the singer, but Dylan would continue to collaborate with the group numerous times after. And from All Music Review, William Ruhlman, Music from Big Pink came as a surprise. At first blush, the group seemed to affect the sound of a loose jam session, alternating emphasis on different instruments while the lead and harmony vocals passed back and forth as if the singers were making up the blend on the spot. In retrospect, the arrangements seemed far more considered and crafted to support a group of songs that took family, faith, and rural life as their subjects and proceeded to imbue their values with uncertainty. Some songs took on the theme of declining institutions less clearly than others, but the points were made musically as much as lyrically. The result was an album that reflects the turmoil of the late 60s in a way that emphasized the tragedy inherent in the conflicts. Music from Big Pink came off as a shocking, divergent musical statement only a year after the ornate productions of Sgt. Pepper and initially attracted attention because of three songs Bob Dylan had either written or co-written. However, as soon as The Weight became a singles chart entry, the album and the group made their own impact, influencing a movement toward roots style and country elements in rock. Over time, music from Big Pink came to be regarded as a watershed work in the history of rock. One that introduces new tones and approaches to the constantly evolving genre. All right, what do we think of the band? Ben hates it. Music from Big Pink. <laughs> he brought this copy of the vinyl so we could burn it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this, Ben? Uh, I, I think it's about time. I think that <laughs> this album kind of signifies like the sobering up a bit of the psychedelic haze. Uh, a bit of a... a come down but it but in like a in a good way like it's getting away it's getting away from all of the ruffles and experimentation and effects and excess and act yeah and excess and it's just it's it's grounding again it's taking the music and it's regrounding it in 
in the American roots or American North American roots, American Canadian roots. I'm a fan, fan of the band, fan of this album. I, I love how organically they play together. You know, these dudes have been other people's backing bands for more than a decade at this point. And they just, they're so road tested. They play so well together. They know what the next guy is going to be doing. And it's like they, they, they play together as like one organic organism. And it's so cool. And that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the warmth, the natural, I mean, the word camaraderie comes up, I think, in one of these uh, articles. Um, just, you, you can tell, I mean, because they, I mean, they recorded all of this live. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. all in one take live, or I mean multiple takes, but all, all together. Yeah, uh, and it, and it shows just that the tightness there, um, and yeah, it's stripping away of a lot of the. I mean, I, I love me some psychedelia and all that, but this is certainly a welcome uh, change of of pace from a lot of the, the cacophony going at that time. It's so like yeah, a thumbs up. It's like a nice me. like broken in flannel shirt like it sounds like the way it, that feels <laughs> well and, and just we were talking a bit earlier how it just starts sort of in the middle of the song you're just placed there at the some at this point that feels like it's it's been it's been going already and you're just sort of catching as if they were playing in the basement and you just walked into <laughs> you know. the basement and they've just been down there playing all day. Or you, like you put a record on you just put the needle in the middle and it just starts up and there there's the album and doesn't stop. I don't. Is that a synth in some of these? There's a, some, a couple little plinks of not a natural sounding instrument. I think the only I, thing. I think there's some synth in Chest Fever. Maybe I could be wrong. Also, never knew that song was called Chest Fever. <laughs> uh, quite, quite a name. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> what? Chest Fever. I don't know. It's a funny combination of words. <laughs> okay. That's where I put my Vicks vape over. <laughs> I got myself a fever on my chest. Uh, me, I didn't find anything bad about this record. I, I felt the same. <laughs> I didn't. I, I wasn't overwhelmed with. I mean, like. I mean, what? I get. I guess that's the point, right? Yeah. That, that it's just kind of there, and it's kind. It's pleasant, but at the sure. same time, it. I just. Uh, I, I wrote I wrote down plush rock instead of soft, soft rock because <laughs> that's kind of how it feels. Huh? It feels nice and plush, like you're you're like ah, this isn't bad, but at the same time, it's it's just uh, it's just kind of there for I think me. The a song, lot of times, like that, the record and the sound of the band, it, the band, the band, uh, it reflects like the, this like conscious lifestyle decision that they kind of made as a group. Uh, without Levon Helm, or you know, they they just they're road dogs for for so long, like just touring all the time with with Ronnie Hawkins, with Dylan, with whoever, and then they they get this house in upstate New York, like in the Catskills, and they spend their days, you know, like taking walks in the woods, like chopping firewood, like like picking vegetables and cooking, and and they play music together, and they. It gets during uh, Dylan's recovery from his motorcycle accident, you know, so he's off the road anyway. They're all just hanging out, living the slower lifestyle, separated from, separated from, like, the hustle probably, and bustle. Probably and just smoking so much weed. Smoking so much <laughs> weed. But just, like, just living that slow country life and just, like, you know, recovering, recuperating. You can, and you can hear that. You can hear that, like, that left turn of, like, the whole, like, the whole mood, the whole style 
And I think that the listening public was primed to hear that, to just like take a step back into the country, re reground yourself. It was like everyone had such sens sensory overload that I think people were just ready for it, you know? You can't be named Rick Danko and not work, know where to score the good weed. <laughs> That's a very valid point. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, you saw I mean, a lot of this more pastoral sort of these sensibilities were popping up. I mean, the kinks did the village green, this moving to the country, getting away from a lot of that. Some of these you know, exploits worked better than others. I think you know, and this is the, I think this is the true, this isn't posturing. This isn't any sort it's more of, of a commune. It yeah. Seems it, like. they, they, they were putting on a, an act for like some publicity. I mean, they had to pull Helm out of the oil rig yeah. to come back and play on this <laughs> album. Yeah. He didn't follow him to upstate New York. He, he, he roamed around the American South for a while, ended up on an oil rig and they, the only way they got him back was like, they, they messaged him, told him, or I don't know, telegrammed or whatever. Tell like, <laughs> Because they got they got uh, the record deal uh, to do their own album, like not as anyone's backing band, but as as their own band, and that that was what got him back into the mix. music review thing where they said that this sounds like a uh, a loose jam <laughs> is, is that what is that what that yeah, said it says loose jam but upon further listening oh, it, it I, becomes more I, I, succinct this is the first time i've listened to this record and yeah. that opening track i've been a part of loose jams and it fucking sucks this <laughs> does not this sounds like the tightest band that ever banded at this point in time yeah they're a little like they're they're in they're doing their own thing, but there's nothing about this that sounds like That's... some dickhead on a gym bay. Well, I was gonna say there are parts where they they sort of I feel like they intentionally lose the beat. Not yeah, like I, a tight I, band would. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like like they know what they're doing by being behind just a half step sure. on the on the drum or something because it gives a more that relaxed sound. I mean, it's very intentionally relaxed. Well, and there, I mean, folk music, you know, follows the the rhythms of the the vocalist, and there are ebbs and flows of of tempo and and, and dynamics, and and just more of a I mean, the or, organic sort of breathing thing that. Ben was talking I about I thought you were going to say the, the rhythms of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, you guys still think this album would be on here if the weight was not a track on this album? That was one one thing I thought about. I, w I was trying to think of if the weight was not... I mean, that's quintessential song that everyone's heard. Would it still carry through with long... You know, like covers like... I felt like... Long Black Veil was a little weird, and then there were some others that. Was I mean, I shall so be released is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Chess Fever but, has got a great gritty, growling sort of 
groove. Yeah, that organ. <laughs> gritty organ. Growling. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> just kept going with the alliteration. The organ distortion yeah, on that so is, is good. pretty great. I uh, feel like I'm biased. Yeah. Uh, but well, I, the I, world I is biased. I mean, because the weight was then on Easy Rider, and it was yeah. just like... It wasn't be, their version, though. Joan is biased. It was re-recorded by like Ben Smith, I think. I don't know if it was like a like hmm. a, a a right like a, a copyright issue, but the the version of the weight on the Easy Rider soundtrack. I never knew that. Huh. It's a it's a band called Smith doing their darndest to sound like the band. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that that's not the only song that makes this album. Certainly, I, I would like to say that it would, and another song would have been selected for whatever you know cultural touchstone. Um, but it was, I mean, it was the weight that, uh, that's part of the, yeah, mm-hmm. well, this, this, I, I'm just, the, the tapestry. I, I, I guess I'm all. trying to get at, you guys still think it's strong enough without, you know, this, this hit single. I would to, to really, that. I, I was going to say, I don't know if I would say that. Yeah. I, I, there, I like, again, there, there's nothing on this record that is, I, I find really offensive at all, but I think that this book is pushing a lot of like. These guys did a thing. Look, look, look at the proto band, and look at the shit it spoke. The stuff it. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a oh increasingly <laughs> comical <laughs> series of. It. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was talking with Amelia about this. We were listening to this. And oh, I was talking about sort of the you know the the relativism or the the, the, the context of listening to these albums, like. This album inspired so many other types of bands to go on and do things similar that, you know, a lot of it becomes watered down and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't care. I just don't like how it sounds. I don't care when it was good or not good. <laughs> I think the, the weight is... Like, she, the, she should come do one of these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> it should be nice to have that. Uh... <laughs> the weight is definitely the most... I feel like it's, it's the it's most just, realized... It's the most realized song... That's... I think that the album, even without that, I think that the album is is strong. I think that hit single really anchors it down. Yeah, but it's a strong album without it, and it really it has that historic significance. Uh, not only kind of for being the the wake up call uh, after the the psychedelic come down, but also that like the whole like. Uh, mythology of of dylan and his basement tapes you know like that like this isn't the basement tapes but this was kind of like inspired by that like dylan being holed up in upstate new york healing a broken back nothing to do except play music with these dudes every day and they were how many songs did they record in the basement of big pink like oh at least i thought it was like a hundred at least i could yeah. be wait they I recorded a hundred and th- these were the ten. No, no, these weren't any of them. Oh, okay. Because uh, the stuff he was doing with Dylan. Those oh, okay. Because that was uh, Dylan recorded them in the basement, and he used them as uh, demos, it's like shopping songs around as a songwriter for other people to record. Enough people, enough like industry execs, got their hands on these demos that they kind of like it built its own like underground buzz. Like, oh, like. These demos that Dylan's doing in this basement with this group of guys are actually really cool. And that was part of what got them the the record deal to release their own album. And then I think in 75, they retroactively released the basement, basement tapes. Yeah. Yeah. And then an, an even more complete version like in the, in 90s. the 90s or two, early yeah. 2000s, I think. 
Yeah. Didn't Roger Waters claim that this and um, yeah. the Magical Mystery Tour, Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper, yeah. were like the most influential like yeah. things on his ear? That was polls. one. This is number two. Uh, he claimed greatest rock albums ever. Um, it I also, don't, it I also, don't see it, I don't see it either. It also <laughs> caused Eric Clapton to disband Cream yeah, and go on and explore his solo career. So take that for what you will. I don't, I don't, I don't see the connection there. Like, you, you, like my, my my thoughts on Eric Clapton are pretty well known public knowledge to anyone who's heard any of our episodes <laughs> where we even mention Clapton. But arguably, one of the better things he did was Cream. But I just don't see the correlation. So he's got this like this blues rock power trio, and he hears this band, and he's like, "I gotta break up my band and and not do something like this." You know, <laughs> it's not like he broke up his band and moved to the country with a with a bunch of like tight musicians. Like he broke up his band and wrote the song "Cocaine," I guess. Which Layla. which is not Layla, a, yeah, yeah, Layla. Layla's yeah. a dope Layla's song. Layla's a good song. Layla's I mean, I think song. there there is some deceptive. This music is deceptively complex. It sounds very straight and, you know, sort of all the frills are cut away. But there, the, the, some of the orchestration, I mean, we we're talking about that first song. You got that little horn part that holds over while the rest of the band all hits together early. So there are these very tight little corners to it. And, and maybe that's part of what was inspiring. It wasn't just this big, you know, acid wall of distortion and solos, but these more finely nuanced yeah. type of compositions with you know all with musicians that are working together like a like a unit like a band like a band like a band the band is the greatest band to have ever banded so do you, to paraphrase rob so me. the band so <laughs> Canadian uh, bands and uh, and weigh them one after the other. We, would we go BTO or the band? Uh, band I thought you were the, pointing the band toward is, wait, uh, wait. Canadian American. Levon Holmes from Arkansas. Yeah, but yeah. I mean that's just one of them, dude. Rush. Yeah, but he, he's, he's Rush like... is the correct. <laughs> Thank you. Answer. Thank you. What, Birch. what was he making? <laughs> three inches of blood. <laughs> yes, I, I will also. I will also take three inches of blood. The Von Helm may only be one fifth physically of the band, <laughs> but I feel like he's at least like a third musically of the band. If it wasn't for his vocals and his drums and and even mandolin playing, this band would sound so different. Even just even if he never sang, I think that he is worth his weight in gold as a drummer. Hmm. He's one of the most understated rock drummers. Solid, so just... solid. Um, without Danko's, because he's all he's the one on the high harmonies usually, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's another signature, I think, aspect. The vocal harmonies of this, and especially, especially Rick. So Danko's. singing drummers, huh? All right, as right, so we're here, we, we've arrived. So uh, that's fine. <laughs> bring on, bring on Collins. I mean, you know the the members of the band, the band as a band, considered uh, Richard Manuel their frontman, hmm. which I guess you know he sings he sings. I the think, majority of their songs. I think Helm only sang on like one song on this album. He sings the hits. Levon Helm sings the hits. He's he sang the weight. 
uh, or at least the first verse, uh, like he sings The Night They Drove All Dixie Down. Sure, yeah. Like the songs that you think of when you think of the band are Helm songs, but Richard Manuel sang lead on way more songs than he did. Hmm. Yeah. To Bert, you were saying this version of The Long Black Veil is weird. Yeah, I just don't, it's just not one of my favorites. I mean, I'm not, I'm not particularly fond of this type of music. I, I see it as more of sort of like hippie, hippie soul. Okay. Um, you know, that just kind of, and it's just a preference thing. Sure. I see the, I see the quality of it. You know, I'm down with, you know, the weight and some of the other songs are like you were talking about chest fever. Some of those parts are, are great. I just don't, I, I don't put this music on, uh, regularly. I, I don't as much either. I'll, I'll, I'll I, I would, I would rather, uh, when they get into some of these more soulful songs, I hear to me every time I, w- I would, I would pick out, you know, like a Wilson Pickett or a Sam Cooke or some, something else that yeah. I just prefer in <laughs> to be a little more here. You uh, said Wilson Pickett, but my ears heard Wilson Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not on. again. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Hold, hold on. Okay. Really, one more so, yeah. One thing I wrote down is okay. It, you know, it's it, very very inspirational to modern country and honky tonk and that sort of stuff. I said the melodic harmonies are too rough to be, you know, completely rough, but they're, you know, they're not completely polished. It's it's sure. right in the middle yeah. of that, and so I, I just don't find it as appealing as some some other bands. I guess I like the the. The humanness. Yeah, um, it, it has a very natural kind of sound. It's very much like a Grateful Dead. Um, yeah, I had actually, you know, kind of kind of sound. I had actually written down uh, this is a band for people who say they don't like the Grateful Dead out of principle. Yeah, <laughs> well, you it's, compare it's this like to Working Man's Grateful Dead. Dead without the solos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you compare this to Working Man's that. Dead, and actually, yeah. they're pretty comparable yeah. um, in in terms of style. I think. I'm more of a touch of gray another, man myself. You got some touch of gray. I do. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite hippie. It's not quite soul. It's not quite country. It's right in between. Yeah, it's very it's, Canadian of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're definitely wearing Birkenstocks, right? I or at least some sort of whatever equivalent. sandal. I imagine yeah, I work know. boots. That's, I'd say more. I'd say more boots. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, so yeah, what do we think overall? I think I would. I would put it firmly in a just neutral for myself. Just not being a huge fan of this, I don't think I would put it on. But I don't mind it, and you know maybe I'll listen to it some more and grow to like it. I definitely will say throughout listening to it, you know, three, three maybe four times uh, this week, I was definitely getting into some of the songs more. Um, some of my. You know, it just never resonated, but some of my I liked a bit more. Have you listened much to their self-titled album, which came out next, which we'll be reviewing no. in several episodes? That was my introduction to the band, the band, and I love that one. That one I feel has has it's like a hit factory. Okay. That one's got all the singles, and this one I I listened, I picked up after I was always a fan of that one. And after, like, I listened to this one a few times, and I thought it sounded okay, but it didn't have, it wasn't as much of a hit machine as the second one. But this one's kind of a slow burn for me. Like, repeated listens, I, I, it, it grows on me. Okay. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, neutral. I'm not, I, I there, there, again, there's nothing offensive about this. It's nothing I would go back to. It's not bad. So, yeah, neutral. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. 
Hey, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty split, but overall, not a bad I mean, album at split, all. Split toward, um, leaning toward yeah. favoring. Split plus. Yeah. No, no one, no, I would no say, one disliked it. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I would say though, it this would be an album that probably should be listened to just. For historical context, if you're into um, Roots Rock I mean, or Americana. Does it deserve a place on the list? Yeah, yeah. I think it probably does. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just just to come out of uh, that sort of era and present something a little bit different. If if Adam were here today, he'd, he'd talk about how many bands out touring right now oh, sure. have like the, the throwback Americana sound and... A lot of it traces back to this record. Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. That'll do it. Next time we'll be talking about Jeff Beck. Oh boy. And his album Truth. Huh. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Sacred Geometry, are you talking about like Fibonacci stuff? Um, there was a whole like wave, and I think in the mid 20th century that took it and sort of took it to spiritual levels. Mm. Um, I learned yesterday that right. uh, a bee's and a honeybee's ancestral family tree follows the Fibonacci sequence. What? Mm hmm. What are you talking about? So, <laughs> real, a, qu- real quick. <laughs> An unfertilized bee egg will always hatch male. A male honeybee only has one parent, and that's the queen. A fertilized bee egg will always hatch female. It will always be a new queen. So every female honeybee has two parents. A a queen and whatever drone fertilized that egg. Okay. So a honeybee, a male honeybee has one parent, but it has two parents. And it has three grandparents, it has five great-grandparents, it has eight great-great-grandparents, it has 13, and it it follows that golden ratio. That's a trip. Huh. Well, I learned yesterday that both dogs and bees can smell fear. (laughs) And the human head weighs eight pounds. Did you watch Jerry Maguire again?